You're listening to the Eltham Baptist Church podcast. I was uh, I was perusing the internet a couple of years ago, interested in what film recommendations people would have. I wanted to kind of get a bit of a finger on the pulse of what are people watching these days. And I came across this synopsis by a random guy in a forum. He said, this film I saw, it's about a man whose wife and children are brutally murdered by a serial killer, save for his oldest son who is left physically disabled from the incident. Years later, in a cruel twist of fate, his only surviving son is kidnapped, and he has to chase the kidnappers across thousands of miles to get him back. And the only person he can find who's willing to help him is a mentally handicapped woman who can barely even remember who she is. Turns out that film was Finding Nemo. Yeah. yeah. Some people have heard that one. Now, it's, that, that, of course, is supposed to get a laugh. You're like, all right, you got me. The funny thing is, there's technically nothing incorrect in that synopsis. If you think about it, all of the data points it's given you, all the pieces of information, the facts, are technically accurate, but no one in their right mind would say that was a good representation of the film you may be about to watch. It would be positively the wrong impression entirely. It's kind of funny how stories and how they're told are so important for us in our culture and in this time. They shape our culture and they define who we look up to, our heroes. Stories can inflame our desires and our lusts way beyond the normal point they would, or they can be like a cold bucket of water, of ice water on us, and bring us back to our senses. Far from, quite apart from evidence and reality, they can decide court cases and public debates. They, stories can redeem the image of the most despicable people and destroy innocent lives. They can render the most wonderful, pure, good thing as pathetic and contemptible and take the most evil, vile and despicable thing and make it seem courageous and desirable. They can... Stories are what shape the outlooks of our children and us, ourselves, and how we interpret the world around us. We use stories to make sense of the world. And stories ultimately help us to shape our very identities, whether we are children of God or whether we are poor and strugglers, battlers, whether we're oppressed. The narratives we tell ourselves and that we consume shape us and our world. I mean, that's whether it's fiction, that's whether it's the works of fantasy, our history, or the stories we tell ourselves. But the thing is, it all points to God built us for good stories. God gave us this book, which is full of amazing stories, some a little sad, but ultimately all working towards a greater good. They tell it, they show us images of who God is in his character and who we are in how God interacts with us. And beyond just what's in the Bible, there's even parables, stories within stories. It's not only the story of Jesus Christ, but also the stories he tells to help better explain concepts of God and of life itself, help that we may be growing wisdom through it. And going beyond just the Bible, we also have these incredible stories we've been given through people, godly men and women that the Holy Spirit has blessed throughout history. We have John Bunyan, who was imprisoned for 12 years and wrote Pilgrim's Progress, a book that even today is still considered to be one of the most beautiful, profound, allegorical explorations of the Christian journey for all its pitfalls and all of its triumphs. 
We have George MacDonald, who wrote At the Back of the North Wind, Fantasties, and The Princess and Curdie, which have some of the most beautiful examples of God's grace and character and how far he'll go for us. And, I mean, don't even get me started on C.S. Lewis. What sermon would it be if I didn't bring up C.S. Lewis? Man, just reading Voyage of the Dawn Treader, taking the stuck-up, pretentious Eustace and the heroic warrior mouse Reaper Cheap. And you see this, when they first engage that, <laughs> that Eustace is swinging around Reaper Cheap by the tail, humiliating him in front of everyone and alienating everyone around him. But then when Eustace is at his lowest point and he knows he deserves nothing, the one character that comes to give him friendship and comfort is Reaper Cheap. And those scenes where they're together are honestly some of the most heartwarming and beautiful images of God's grace. It is the definition of undeserving, but it is, you cannot read it and not be moved and realize that there is something good here. This echoes something eternal, something right. It's these stories, stories God has given us through various forms that to be guarded, protected, consumed, and understood of the power that they hold. And they must be, all of them, carefully examined and compared to the greatest story, the one that God tells us about us and about history. I love this verse uh, in Philippians. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Fill your life with them. Read these stories to your kids, elevate them, and always use them to remember who God is and what our place is in the story of life. The thing is, Satan absolutely knows the importance of these stories. (laughs) Satan has built, he's like a very, very cunning character. Satan has developed all these clever little tools and instruments that we fall for all the time. The Screwtape Letters is an amazing book if you want to get a bit of an insight into that. Have you ever ever recognized this one? Satan will try and make us, trick us into believing that dark and gritty, unpleasant, is more real. Ever heard of that one? Yeah. Like, you'll hear two stories. Let's just say, oh, um, my parents love me. I mean, that's very, very simple, but, I mean, wouldn't it be more plausible if perhaps they were just trying to say they love me just because they had me and they can't do anything about it now? (laughs) Maybe I really was a ratbag. Maybe all those times they got mad at me, maybe that's their real feelings about me. There's all kinds of things because the darker thing we're convinced must be the more real thing. Another thing Satan does is he makes us feel like we're willfully ignorant, putting our fingers in our ears and going, la, 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 if we do not consume all the horrors going on all over the world at the same time and dwell on them. You don't want to be ignorant to what's going on in the world like we were built to carry every woe on our shoulders and worry about them. That's the more real thing. Oh, yes, God's doing all these wonderful things. There's these incredible testimonies all around the world. But if I want to be aware, I want to be alert, I have to be aware of every awful thing first. Then I can maybe start to focus on the good in the world. I also also really want to stress this one. Satan is so good at just twisting a detail in the story, in the narrative God gives us, just tweaking little details that totally change the story. Like with the Finding Nemo example at the beginning, he can take the same story but totally change its meaning. 
Suddenly, sharing the good news, giving the best you have to someone, is forcing your beliefs down their throats. Suddenly, edifying or giving wisdom to your peers is not loving and accepting them for who they are. They sound very noble, don't they? When you phrase sentences like that. And that's where Satan tries to get us. He tries to make us get confused as to what the good and right thing is. None of us want to be forcing things down people's throat. That's awful. So then we just remain silent. Satan, Satan knows that these little subtle tricks are important. Because he is terrified of the simplicity and power of the good news. The fact is, is that the good news, these good stories are simple, they're pure, they're clean, and they have power. They plant seeds in the heart of anyone who hears it, no matter how incompetently or verbally ineptly they're explained or told. The Holy Spirit uses it, and Satan knows that. Satan needs to do whatever he can to silence us, to confuse us, to muddle our minds and complicate the story. Anything to stop the straight, clean, pure story from being told. He'll make us physically ill, He'll flood our minds with distractions and things. Oh, well, we have to go do that first or worry about that first. I guess I'll come back to that later. He'll try to flaunt our past before us and shame us into inaction. Oh, really? Oh, you're going to tell that person about Jesus now? You. These people all see through you. They know who you are. No one here really likes you. Is that the impression you want to give of Jesus? You? It's all about the story. Satan will try to twist to make us inept, inactive. But God's story is always supreme. He knows that we forget this stuff. God knows that we're forgetful. That's why he gave us these stories and told us to meditate on them day and night, to keep repeating them and sharing them to each other and our children, our descendants, because we forget. We get confused, we get muddled, and we just need a bit of a refresher. We need to remember also that we'll build narratives to make sense of our world, but God's narrative always has that twist that we wouldn't have come up with on our own. That little twist, and it's always so much better than our story. Like, take a look at how God greeted Abraham in the Old Testament. God comes up to Abraham and he says, you will be the father of many nations. Your descendants will be as numerous as the stars in the sky, as the grains of sand on the beach. Do you remember what Abraham said in response to that? He fell down on his face and started laughing. He's like, I'm 100 years old. What are you talking about? I can't have any kids. My wife is 90. She's not having any kids anytime soon. Sorry, God. Like, this was, I'm sure they spoke like that back then. That's how it works. But he had a narrative in his mind that he was in his twilight years. His opportunity for the joy of a son or a daughter was well past him. God didn't care about that. That wasn't the real story. And he had a story. It was up to Abraham to recognize that though all of the things around him told him one story, God had a different story in mind and it was the right one. I mean, another example, and I love this one, when the Midianites were oppressing God's people and Gideon was hiding in a, um, in a wine press, how did the angel of God greet Gideon? The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Do you think that really aligned with Gideon's narrative? He was hiding in a corner just like, please don't bother me. I'm quite happy here. God had this whole story 
And it goes on to be one of those God-glorifying, incredible accounts. And again, using the least of his people, the last person you'd expect to tell the most incredible story, God's story was supreme. One of the passages I was really reading and studying recently, because I thought I was originally going to speak on this primarily, was Daniel chapters 1 to 6 about. Daniel in the lion's den, you know, like Hadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. These... This section is incredible. If you actually think about it in context, when Daniel, the story of Daniel is taking place, the promised land is gone. God's people are scattered to the winds. Daniel and his friends are in chains, given as slaves to the enemy that destroyed the promised land, that scattered God's people, God's enemy. And Daniel and his friends, for the rest of their lives, are in service to these monsters. They never get free from it. That's a sad story, right? Of course it isn't, because God's defying all that logic. (laughs) When God blessed Daniel and his friends with unprecedented gifts, what, to undermine the king of Babylon, To, to undermine Nebuchadnezzar and take back the promised land? No, so that Daniel and his friends may love Nebuchadnezzar and serve the kingdom with all that they are, even though they're in enemy territory. They serve with genuine love with everything they have, (laughs) I mean, loving the enemy king, that was not the story I would have expected. And here's the thing, over a series of rather comical events where Nebuchadnezzar learns a lesson and then seems to unlearn it, (laughs) eventually at the end of his life, Nebuchadnezzar II comes to recognize the glory and majesty of God, the Hebrew God. He has his own words that are in the first six chapters of Daniel. I, Nebuchadnezzar, recognize the glory of the God of the Hebrews. That happens. That's the same king that laid siege to Jerusalem earlier, years earlier. Comes to recognize the glory of God because of the faithfulness of Daniel accepting God's narrative of the situation. I mean, and as earthly empires rise and fall, as the Persian Empire rises and the Babylonian Empire falls, Daniel is still there through it and continues to serve Darius the Mede, the first king of the Medo-Persian Empire. And this is where Daniel in the lion's den comes in. Immediately Darius the Mede sees this guy Daniel and he knows here is a man who will not betray me. Here is a man who genuinely is giving his all. He recognized it at once and valued Daniel highly, placing him third in the position of power in the kingdom. Now, of course, the other administrators weren't so happy about that. So what do you think they did? Well, they tried to catch him out in corruption. Because, of course, everyone in an administrative position must be corrupt. But Daniel wasn't. They were pretty miffed about that. They could not find any way to trip him up. But then they thought, realized, now, wait a minute. We know this Daniel is faithful to his God. And we know that he would never betray Darius the Mede, our king. We know he'd never do anything to bring harm to our kingdom. But we can catch him on a technical thing, on a religious technicality. If we get Darius the Mede to put a law in place that is unable to be revoked, where only he is allowed to be worshipped for one week, they knew that Daniel would pick God first. And there they'd catch him. Not that he ever did anything harmful. Not that he ever wished ill will upon any of the people of the Persian Empire. But they caught him in the technicality anyway. Did Daniel, was Daniel resentful? No. He learned about the law change and went up, opened the doors and prayed anyway. Three times a day as he always did. Because why wouldn't he? And of course we know the rest that comes after that. Darius realizes what he's done 
oh, I've condemned this man. What have I done? And he, as is, they're lowering Daniel into the lion's den, he says, if your God is alive, if your God saves, may he save you. And the next morning, you can imagine the look on Darius's face as he ran down, they opened the chamber, and there was Daniel completely unharmed, saying, hey, king, what's up? Daniel was ready to go back to working for that king, loving that king with all that he was, not treating him like an enemy. And Darius, man, he made sure that the entire Persian Empire knew that the God of the Hebrews was one to be acknowledged. These are, these are stories that defy logic. They defy what the narrative appeared to be at the time. This was the lowest point, right? When God's people, they're gone, they're scattered, their home is destroyed. This was happening. God even had his hands on, the, on his enemies, the enemies of his people, before Daniel came along. Because the story of Jonah is dealing with the empire before that one. God was constantly keeping his eyes on the situation. His narrative was always supreme. And here's the thing. This is the thing. While we even have all these little shred, these little bits of evidence, these little stories that paint a whole picture, we already know how the great story ends. Satan loses. Spoiler alert, God wins. And one day everything will be set right. No more corruption in the narratives. No more broken heroes, but just rejoicing in virtue. God has constantly used and continues to use the least of us in the darkest times for the greatest stories, despite the fact that nothing in our earthly wisdom seems to be able to form that narrative. It doesn't matter how weak or imperfect we are. It doesn't matter how grim or hopeless it might seem. It doesn't matter how improbable victory might be. God is the master storyteller. God is the master storyteller. And we have these little narratives to help explain who we are, what our world is in context, what all these struggles are in the world. Threats of war, enemies, dangers, like wars going on overseas. We have these narratives to help make sense of it all and what our place is in it. But God is the master storyteller. Don't let Satan fool you with cheap knockoffs. Don't let him do those little twists that, that make it easier for you. But just be free in knowing that God's going to tell the best story and that's okay to embrace. We have to cling to these stories, the stories given to us that echo and show us who God is and what he has planned. What makes them so good is because of how well and how successfully they mirror God. And his character. We need those stories. So which stories do you listen to? What stories are you filling your life with? What narratives? And how is it shaping you? What stories do you believe? Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for the gift of your word, for all of these stories and rather hilarious protagonists that you've given us throughout history that show us that you really are capable of anything, that you can overcome any obstacle, Lord, and any evil empire or any evil plan can be thrown aside, Lord, for your glory. Help us, Lord, to crave, plant it as a seed in our hearts, Lord, to desire good stories, 
to know and be able to discern the good from the bad, that we can share them with our children, with each other, and that we can nourish ourselves with it too. Lord, give us the wisdom to know the good stories. And I'll plan it in our hearts to want them. Amen. You've been listening to the Eltham Baptist Church podcast. If you'd like to hear more or simply pay us a visit, go to www.elthambaptist.com.au.